91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. Singer and songwriter Amethyst Kia has been hailed by Rolling Stone as one of America's great up-and-coming secrets. This native of Tennessee who skirts bluegrass and old-time country with alt-rock was one of four women of color who produced the iconic album Our Native Daughters in 2019. Since then, Kia has created a powerful new album, Wary and Strange. The album works with topics of Black power, sexuality, and mental health. Kia was in town last month for a sold-out performance, and she came into the KBCS studios to perform some songs and for a live conversation with KBCS music director and afternoon music host, Ian Hughes. You are on 91.3 KBCS, Roots Rock and Soul. My name is Ian Hughes. Thanks for coming along. I am so pleased to welcome live into the KBCS studio this afternoon, Amethyst Kia. Let's just start with a fact. Uh, Amethyst is an extraordinary musician. She is a multi-instrumentalist. She has a degree from East Tennessee State University in bluegrass, old-time, and country music studies. She has been making her own records now for a decade. She is part of an amazing supergroup, Our Native Daughters, that also features Rhiannon Giddens, Layla McCalla, and Allison Russell. Her song, Black Myself, first heard on the Our Native Daughters album, was nominated for a Grammy. Her last full album, Wary and Strange, is linked sonically and perhaps even thematically to a long line of intensely spiritual rock albums, which include, to my ears, bands with a mix of Doc Watson to Alabama Shakes, The White Stripes to Betty Davis, The Black Keys to Odetta, Claudia Lanier to Funkadelic. This isn't to highlight contrasts because that's not what I hear but rather to encompass a fullness an artistic and creative wholeness we are psyched Amethyst Kia Find the answers that I need 
City lights are the only stars I ever see And many nights until I finally can breathe How many spirits does it take to lift a spirit? I don't know, I don't know Cause I got every spirit and I'm still laying it Crying on the floor, on the floor So can you just leave me be Being drenched in fire and water won't save me I'll forsake the path of filth Please, can you just leave Can you just leave Can you just leave Me be All right, that last one was called Firewater, and uh, this one's called Wild Turkey. It's for my backbone Cause she's never coming back No, she's never coming back 
I hope it gave her some relief Cause she's never coming back No, she's never coming back When I was 17 I pretended not to care Staying up for years to escape despair When your soul dies yeah. Oh Lord, will I ever feel Pretended not to care Stayed them for years to escape despair When your soul dies You just can't hide it Everyone can tell KVCS Roots Rock and Soul. We are live in the KVCS studio with Amethyst Kia. Amethyst, first, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, it really is it's such a pleasure and such a treat to have you in the studio. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Yeah. That song is so tough. Uh, you know, to, to kind of get into and under the skin of, um, you know, probably people who are listening may, may not know sort of the backstory of it of, of your mom's death when you were. Uh, well, seventeen. If I'm taking from yep. taking from the yeah. lyrics, right? right? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my mom uh, committed suicide when I was seventeen, mm-hmm. and um, you know that was something that obviously was a, a traumatic experience, and it had a pr- profound effect on me. And um, and I think for for many years, um, the way that I kind of deal with my emotions is is I repress them and kind of bottle them up. I internalize them and I try to figure it out on my own and um, that only goes so far especially for something um, so sudden and tragic as that at the age uh, that I was at so um, so really this song um, was born after I would say my second or third year in therapy um, in my late 20s I uh, started going to therapy in, in 2016 and have been consistently going um, since then and um, really about a year or two in is when I kind of realized, like, because I had to figure out, like, what's going on with me. Like, I had so many wonderful things happening and going on in my life, but I was kind of set on self-destructing. And so I had to figure out, like, you know, what exactly is going on with me. And it was, you know, unrep- it was like, un, um, it was unrepressed or 
unrecognized grief that I hadn't quite processed, I guess is the best way to put it. So, so yeah, this song was my release of that and that and processing because music has always been a way to kind of process things for me. Um, there's a lot of people too. So, sure. Yeah. It, it's in many ways such a pure song. Uh, there's, there's a, a, a I did sort of a, a image in there of, of the bottle of, uh, of Wild Turkey on the Seat, and it feels sort of full circle in the sense that you hope that it almost brings relief when clearly this was sort of an issue, too. I think that's that's such a beautiful, poignant moment, though, I think, Mm -hmm. of healing, perhaps? I don't know. Yeah. um, Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, what I kind of learned about, and I didn't really understand it at the time, um, but I obviously, as I've experienced life, I have a better understanding of, you know, why p- people commit suicide and what the, you know, what, what it's, uh, it's, un- it's this underlying pain, this idea that like somehow you leaving the world is going to make things better. Um, and so for me, it was kind of a moment of like maybe somewhere in there she found peace. You know, that's all I can, you know, that's all you can really all you can really hope for. Um, so that was sort of my, you know, me kind of dealing or struggling with that aspect of things. Like, you know, I hope that, that you know, wherever she is, you know, mm-hmm. um, that she's, you know, she's at rest. And, um, you know, me and my dad picked up the pieces and kept going. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so you never really know what somebody's going through or, um, so it's, uh, so yeah, it's, you started with the song Firewater, which also yeah. sort of feels like a bookend a little bit uh, to uh, to Wild Turkey, as, as yeah. uh, you, you've written that that was maybe coming out of the end of a, a phase of just sort of partying and maybe, yeah. could I say, partying slash repressing that stuff? Was that kind yeah. of Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, anytime any sort of uncomfortable thought kind of started bubbling to the surface, it's like, well, got to go get rid of that you know and it's not even it's not even a premeditated thing it's just this instinctual it's kind of instinctual that we keep ourselves from harm and obviously that can manifest in a lot of different ways um but my whole focus really from 2016 onward has been to like um just to be more intentional and deliberate and really like in my life and you know in what I want to do and so firewater is actually you know Again, this was after, I think this was like the first year in of therapy and started, and I went back to some of the old places I used to hang out, and I went back to see a couple of shows um, and uh, in Johnson City, some of the old hangouts I went to, and uh, and I was, you know, I didn't have anything to drink, and I was just kind of like, it was, it was kind of a weird feeling because I would walk in and, you know, you'd see like, you know, the younger people, like, you know, young college students, like hanging out, whatever. But then I would also see some of like the regulars that are in their 40s, 50s and doing the same thing. And I'm just like, that could be me one day, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was just a very um, profound moment also. So, yeah. It's 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 kind of fascinating to me because I'm putting you in your late twenties when this is happening, and I, I suppose by this point, um, had you already attended uh, the East Tennessee uh, University for the college for 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 the music? Yeah, I'd already gotten a, an undergraduate degree in uh, bluegrass and country music studies, and then I attempted to go to grad school, 
And I have to admit now it was because I wasn't prepared to be in the real world. School was like a safety blanket for me. So I was afraid to leave it. So I decided to go to grad school. So this was all happening while I was in grad school. I, I can't. I can't stress enough how bad of an idea that is. <laughs> it is such a bad idea. Please do not do it. Um, do not go to grad school unless you know what you're doing and what you want to do and that you're sure that you want to spend two years only doing that because it's like, you know. So I, you know, I lived and learned. So I ended up I ended up leaving grad school, dropping out of grad school because I got to a point where I was like, I'm, play- I'm doing what I want to do. I'm playing shows. I might as well just put my all in it you know so um and you know it's funny because my dad has been with me through this all this process and he's been like always been the voice of reason whenever i'm you know struggling or trying to figure things out um he's the one suggested i go to therapy you know he uh he himself um he dealt with drug addiction for several years and um at this point when he saw me starting to go down this path that it wasn't i wasn't off the rails yet but it could have gone that way and he because because he's gone to therapy he's gone to rehab he'd been clean for like four years at this point he was like i gotta i gotta say something to her you know she may not like it but i gotta tell her like and so that's when he reckoned you know started going to therapy and all that so so he's been like you know if it wasn't for him being that voice i you know who knows what would have happened so i owe a lot to him for you know Having his lived experience and applying, you know, one of the biggest things I think I've learned from my dad is, you know, no matter how hard you fall down, like, there's a way to keep going. You have to find a way, find your way back to, like, who you are and what your purpose is. Like, that's so important. Like, people that have addiction or people that commit suicide, like, they have lost their sense of purpose for whatever reason, you know, um, it's so important to have, you know, faith in something regardless of what it is. Um, as long as at the end of the day, you're trying to, you know, I'm just trying to be a good person and trying to, you know, do my art, share my music, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, and it's hard to do that if you're, if you don't know who you are, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, and, you, and your dad was, a, or was, or is, maybe a, a musician himself. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Not, not a professional musician, okay. um, but he did. He he sang lead in a in a sort of like a like a like progressive rock soul country. Uh, it's a whole mix of stuff. Um, they they played like this is like back in the seventies, um, and he lead sang in this band that you know they. Played like you know Led Zeppelin, Carlos Santana, oh, wow. like you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. So he, I, so I got my my love. Definitely got my love of music from him because even though he didn't go on to do it professionally, he's always been a you know avid listener of music. Yeah. Has a you know big music collection. Ninety one three KBCS Community Radio. You're listening to the Grit. We take you back to today's KBCS interview with singer and songwriter Amethyst Kia. If we go back 10 years to, you know, your first record and then, well, really your first two records, you know, they're, they're, they're filled with uh, traditional songs like Dark Holler and uh, Old Precious Bryant songs. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you're listening to, or if your dad's playing Santana and, and, you know, 70s rock and whatnot, where did the old time in the country string come in for you? Well, um, it didn't really come until I went to college because okay. even prior to that, even though I grew up listening to what my the stuff my dad was playing, which was a lot of different kinds of things, and my mom as well listened to a lot of they liked a lot of the same music. Um, I kind of found once I started playing guitar when I was thirteen, 
I found like I finally found like you know my my music. So even though I love listening to like pop music, like I love listening to like you know Mariah Carey and you know all those those big big diva esque voices. Uh, Michael Jackson's another one too. Um, I was really into that stuff. But then I started getting into like Green Day, Blink One Eighty Two. Um, Tony Hawk Purse Skater was kind of like a definitive uh, moment in my life because that's when I heard a bunch of like, you know, punk bands and alternative music really um, for the first time outside of what I would see on MTV. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up getting really into alternative music. Then I got into like some like kind of out there singer songwriter stuff like, you know, Tori Amos and like Kate Bush and then I got into Radiohead. So it was, you know, it's a lot of different kinds of like rock and a lot of songs that really kind of delve into like, you know, really intense, you know, emotional things, you know, trying to process negative emotions. So so I really gravitated uh, to that to those kinds of songs. Um, and then getting into uh, college, it really just started with I was curious. I, I decided to take a semester off. Um, but I wanted, this was like back in, I want to say 2009 or something. Um, but I still wanted to, um, I still wanted to like do something. So I found this group bluegrass guitar class and I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know anything about bluegrass or (laughs) traditional music or anything. And, uh, I called up Jack Toddle, who was, who's the, who was the founder of the program at ETSU. Um, and, uh, I asked him, like, am I going to have to learn how to sight read? Like, what's the deal? Because prior to that, the only lessons I ever took was for classical guitar. And while I enjoyed it, you know, I'd already learned how to play by ear and read guitar tabs. And I was just not really into the whole footstool and, you know, the (laughs) whatever, the whole form, um, the formal aspect of it. Um, And he was said, no, like, this is an oral tradition. You know, if you know how to read guitar tabs and if you can play by ear, like, you'll do just fine. So I took that guitar class, and then it led to uh, a guitar camp where there was, like, bluegrass and Celtic music. Um, then I did Celtic band for a couple of semesters, and then I eventually found old-time music. So, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, there's there's kind of a weird through line between, you know, the rawness of Radiohead and the rawness of, uh, you know, the Stanley Brothers or something. They're, they're, well, yeah. they're, they're, you know, melodically they're different, but they're all having existential crises. Exactly. I mean, and that's that's exactly what connected me to the music yeah. was this was like, this is just like the weird stuff that I already listened to. It's just like it's from a different, um, you know, it's just it's just a different style of music. But there but like you said, it's the through line of, you know kind of, you know, dealing with stuff, dealing with life. And another thing, too, is especially in, like, the field recordings and those early commercial recordings, you know, people had, like, a distinct sound. Like, you know, because if you think about it, you know, you're if you're in the mountains, you know, before radio, you learn a song and from somebody, and then you go back home. By the time you go home, it's, you're not going to remember it you know, note for note. So it's going to become your own, you know, and that's kind of what, that's what's cool about, you know, especially listening to like several different versions of like the same song is because everybody, you know, takes the song and it's like, what do they do with it? You know, so it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. So, yeah. so when you do something like Another Man Done Gone or Death Don't Have No Mercy, are you, are, are you sort of taking it from, you know, Reverend Gary Davis or are you sort of taking it, taking it home and not really trying to go perfect on it and just, you know, let it just come through. Yeah, I mean, usually what will happen is if I find, I guess my process was always, you know, 
maybe my process has always sort of been like finding like I guess the original recording of whatever the song is um, or find the most notable recording um, and then also listen to other versions too um, and then also obviously with my background like really being into like you know pop music and alternative rock and that kind of stuff like also allowing those influences to kind of come out you know in my voice or in my playing and so it's it ends up yeah just kind of being a culmination of you know wanting to keep the spirit of the song um but also allowing myself to hear other ideas too and be like ooh, that's pretty cool you know i don't know it's just for me like music is a i kind of see life in general as like a curiosity to me and I, I just I'm really curious and and like to learn stuff so um, so for me when I like you know when I whenever I was sitting down to inter- to interpret a folk song it was kind of like this you know this hours long journey of just kind of listening to all the sounds and then trying stuff and just see and just trying things and then you know if if my if I feel my heart stop or if I f- really feel whatever it is I figured out and I'm like okay that's cool so yeah it's fun let me reintroduce you for just a moment uh, we're talking to Amethyst Kia her uh, latest full album is called Wary and Strange it is an extraordinary mix of uh, rock and blues I gotta get back to our native daughters here in just a moment but would you play us another song sure yeah, yeah. Um, so this next one is a uh, it is a Tori Amos song uh, from uh, Pensive Pop, which is an EP released last year. Um, it's one of my favorite songs of hers, and it's a B-side from Little Earthquakes, which was her debut solo record. This one's called Sugar. Sugar, you bring me sugar. 
And you know if they find me listening to The Grit on 91.3 KBCS Community Radio since 1973. We take you back to today's KBCS interview with singer and songwriter Amethyst Kia. 913 KBCS live in the studio here with Amethyst Kia. And there she was doing Sugar, and that is off of her uh, latest EP. The first time I uh, imagine that uh, a number of people heard your music uh, was uh, through the group uh, Our Native Daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. how, did that, yeah. how did that come about? Tell us, tell us a little bit about... Uh, yeah. I mean, because we, we've had Allison uh, in the studio a number of times with Birds oh, of Chicago. Cool. Yeah, lovely, it's awesome. Lovely, yeah. Anna. And so here it is. This, uh, like, I mean, what other word for it? It's a super group. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was, um, it was a really incredible experience to be able to work on that record with them. Um, so I, back in 2016, I um, opened for Rhiannon for her Freedom Highway tour mm. for I think two different for two different tour runs. So um that's initially how we met. She saw a, a video of me performing at Cambridge Folk Festival and then um hadn't reached out about me opening. So that's how we initially met, which was really great because I'd been a big fan of the Carolina Chaco Drops for, for many years, yeah. seen many shows. Um so uh, it really was a dream come true to be able to to open for her. So um so then um later on, I I wanna say in twenty seventeen, um she reached out to me and Allison and Layla about um about this project, uh Songs for Native Daughters and um I found it really it was incredibly compelling to me because it was it was the first time that I'd ever really been presented with an opportunity or really even thought about writing songs about, you know, the transatlantic slave trade, about segregation and kind of and also the idea of kind of, you know, repositioning the banjo as, you know, it's as an as an African instrument. That's also now has now come into the American music fold, but you know that that part of that history has obviously been you know erased and kind of whitewashed in a way. So um, so she really wanted to um, you know make the banjo kind of be one of the focal points, um, and then 
we would use the uh, archives and artifacts from the National African American History and Culture Museum in D.C. Um, to sort of get inspiration um, of, for different songs to write. So, and we had a lot of resources at our disposal, um, which was really incredible. Um, so, yeah, we met in Lafayette, Louisiana, and spent about two or three weeks uh, writing and recording. She had a her band that she normally uh, plays that she normally played with on the road. Um, so we had Jamie Cipher on bass or Jason Cipher on bass. Oh my gosh, <laughs> he would love that. He would love that I <laughs> forgot his name. Uh, Jason Cipher on um, bass and Jamie Dick on drums. Um, and then uh, Dirk Powell yeah. was on a lot of different instruments and recorded and co-produced with Rhiannon, of course. Um, so yeah, it was great. Um, it was it was it was really. It was my first time writing about a concept outside of my own personal experiences, but in a way it was also me and you know a lot of the history I'd already, you know, been aware of and read about and had discussions about, but to put it in song form was um again it was uh it was another way of processing the past and things that have happened in the past and it was also an opportunity to meditate on like you know, how far we have come. There's obviously still injustice that happens. Um, but, you know, this is the, this is an amazing time to to be alive and sort of pay homage to the people before us that, you know, uh, that had to suffer um, way more than I ever will. Um, is uh, It's important. It's important to remember, you know, to remember those people um and uh so yeah this is really like spiritual creative wonderful thing you the so. four of you walked such a extraordinary balance between songs like uh music and joy and i know i could fly which are so beautiful uh with songs that just kind of go right at it you know slave yeah, driver, yeah. <laughs> slave driver and and, yeah. and, and whatnot mm-hmm. uh was that sort of purposeful as to kind of go through you know the full sort of cycle of it was that or was that just organic as the song started coming out yeah it was kind of an it was an organic thing um you know when we all got together we all had some of us had like different fragments of songs but it was it truly was a you know a very collaborative you know effort um you know i think black myself is the only song that that isn't a co-write that i that i Mm. that i had written so um so it was very much a collaborative thing um, or sorry, what were you going to say? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, no, I'm cutting you up. <laughs> well, it, it, it's one of the songs, that, and, and it might have even been the first, it might have been the second single off of the record is mm-hmm. your song, Black Myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that written during the sessions, or did you have that with you, or had you, was that something that you had been working um, on? Honestly, that song, I wrote that song, I would say maybe maybe a few days before... Um, we were meant to wrap up. So this was like uh-huh. the last, this is one of the last songs. That was, this is the last song that I had written and it was the last song, one of the last songs that we recorded. Um, it honestly, I think it was like, I was in my bedroom one morning and um, it, the song kind of just came out. I was inspired by um, the, there's a line and, um, and I think I talk about it in the liner notes of, uh, of the record, but um there was a a song called John Henry, um, and it was a Sid Hemphill's version. It was that was the version that we that I based that me and Allison based um, uh, Polly Ann's Hammer off of. Mm-hmm. But there was a line in that song 
that said, I don't want no red black woman, black myself. It was either red black or right black. It, with that line, it made me think of like, you know, intraracial discrimination where um, like in the like in some parts of black community, the idea of you being the lighter you were, the more you'd be accepted into society. And so, um, so there was like uh, brown societies that, you know, tested, you know, if your skin was darker than a paper bag, you couldn't you couldn't be part of the society. So there was things like that and it was a coping mechanism to deal with, you know, being treated like a second class citizen. So um but um so from there I just, you know, got the hook. Black myself just became the hook and then I just, you know, kind of started from slavery in the first song or the first verse. And then um, post-slavery, but still dealing with repercussions of that. And then the final verse, just me being, you know, now I can, you know, now instead of, you know, being black, being a curse, now it's, now it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's another part of who I am. And it, um, it's sort of like this idea of, you know, trend, like transcending beyond being seen as, you know, um, transcending beyond whatever my skin color is and just being seen as a human being, you know? Um, so that's what the last verse is kind of signifying. So going through 400 years of, <laughs> of history in like three minutes uh, was sort of the idea. So it seems like people... Seems like it went over well, I think, but <laughs> I'm glad it worked. <laughs> You're listening to Amethyst Kia, and uh, she's she says her song uh, "Black Myself" went over well. This is a Grammy-nominated <laughs> song, everyone. <laughs> let's just let's just get that out of the way. It is a, it is a centerpiece, a uh, killer song, Grammy-nominated. Uh, so you, you take this song into the group, and you're sitting there. Do you remember the first time you played it for them, and what everyone's reactions were? I mean, I played it in, I'm pretty sure I played it in the studio. I will say that all of that was a blur and it was, it's been, I only want to think how long, how many years ago that was now, but I do remember like the response was like, we gotta, it's like, we gotta record this. We gotta get this. So everybody was really, really excited about it, um, which meant a lot. Yeah. Um, Cause it was the first time I'd really ever written a song where I wrote about something like specific um, usually with, with my songs prior to that, I would kind of leave it a little bit open so anybody could see themselves. And I kind of worried, you know, initially when I wrote the song, I worried about, you know, alienating, alienating people because sometimes some people will see the word black and immediately be like, oh, well, that's not for me. But really it's, you know, it's about like we're human beings, you know. Um, you know, slavery is a, is, a, is a terrible atrocity that's been happening for thousands of years all over the world. You know, it's still happening. And so it's like, you know, this is a this is a common this is I want to say common, but it's this is a it's a human. You know, it's it's just like it's just a human rights thing. It's just about seeing each other as human beings and hearing each other's experiences. And while obviously being black played a huge role in the American slave trade, um, but I feel like standing back and really thinking about if you really look at it it's just a it's a story about people overcoming adversity that's really what it's about and that's something i think anybody could see themselves in you know or see someone that they know in you know we all you know we all know what it feels like to be anxious to feel pain to you know to feel disenfranchised like in some way or another we've all experienced that it's a universal thing so um 
So yeah, and I and I, and I just, that's kind of how I try to explain it. And then because sometimes I'll have people ask me, you know, well, I'm white. Can I sing this song? And like they feel like they need to ask me permission to sing the song. And I I always tell them, of course you can. Like this isn't this isn't just for black people to sing. This is for anybody that resonate that the story resonates with. You know, so right. right. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. It, it's you know I do see myself in that song as you know a middle aged white guy because you know people that looked just like me had an awful lot to do with a song like that being written. And so there's no way to sort of separate that out. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's, you have to push into it. You have to accept it. Uh, you, had, you had mentioned that it kind of was born out of a line from uh, Polly Ann's Hammer, which is based off of, you know, John Henry and that whole history of mm-hmm. it, which, you know, is, that's, that's I, I didn't actually ever pick that out of that. And, and so I wasn't thinking about that until this moment. So I'm kind of having this, realization oh, yeah. listening and i'm like yeah. well this is this is such an because john henry to me is one of the great american folk heroes and there's a lot of healing and reconciliation that i think that can happen along uh, with the john henry and the pollyann story mm. oh yeah definitely have yeah. It kind of come out and birth uh black myself is that's extraordinary yeah yeah huh. it's it. really, yeah i haven't i hadn't thought about it in quite that and that, quite that connection. But yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially since we had been sitting with these songs and recording and just being in it for, you know, two weeks up at this point. And so the song, when the song presented itself to me and I started writing and I was like, well, yeah. you know, this is like a culmination of just thinking about this stuff and yeah. being, you know, being present. And because it's not every day you could, you know, just write a song and you know, three hours. It's not, you know, that would be cool if that could happen, but it doesn't always work like that. But when you're in that space, you find those moments where you're just like, bam, that's a song right there. And it's, and it's done, you know? So, so yeah, it's one of those, it was one of those special ones. So I'm taking probably up your entire afternoon. I'm so sorry, (laughs) Uh, but I I do have to say, so you re-record Black Myself on uh, Wary and Strange, and I think the first two songs I heard from Wary and Strange were, was Black Myself, the re-record of that, mm-hmm. and probably Fancy Drones. Yes, mm-hmm. and there's something that happens when you put on a record and you hear something you've never quite heard before. That's so exciting. It, it's riveting, mm-hmm. and sort of, and, and whatever it is that you got going on on those two particular songs, that's so guttural and so deep, and you have that moment as a listener where you're like. I don't even know what instrument that is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Like this is amazing. So what, what, yeah. what, where did that album kind of come out? Cause you know, you're, you've been working in, and it's very bluesy, the record, but mm-hmm. it definitely pulls back in your sort of punk rock aesthetic and, and that rock yeah, and sure. roll yeah, upbringing yeah. to it. Yeah. Is that sort of a, a conscious? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, at this point, um, I, uh, I, so I worked with Tony Berg. Uh, he produced, uh, Produced the record. Um, I went to Sound City in um, Los Angeles, which is where he um, co-owns the studio with um, Blake Mills, who's an incredible, phenomenal guitar player. Um, and he actually he played on um, on Hangover Blues and on uh, Black Myself, electric guitar. Um, so when I met him, uh, I presented him with basically what what I didn't know would. 
I didn't think these were going to be demos at the time, um, but they ended up being demos. Um, but there was like some acoustic stuff that I had recorded, and then there was some like electric guitars. There's like full electric band stuff I had recorded, and I had to find a way to like reconcile both of them because they were two very distinct parts of my musical journey and how do I make this make sense? How do I make it cohesive? So that's, you know, so that was the idea. So, you know, we ended up having to, in order to do that, Tony was like, we're going we're gonna to need to re-record everything because right now just there's, everything is just so all over the place. They were recorded in different studios. It's, there's, there's just so many things happening that the best way to, was to just re-record. So I went to LA for a couple of weeks uh, during June of 2020 when the cases were going back down. Um, so it was Airbnb and studio and, and takeout and, you know, very much like, you know, focusing on the record and not running around. But, um, but anyway, um, so yeah, he, you know, brought in, you know, Blake Mills for some stuff. Uh, Kane Rashad uh, played drums um, on it. Um uh, Wendy Melvoin ended up playing bass on a couple of songs on there. So it was just like, and I didn't get to meet her because I had already had to leave after two weeks. So it's just like all these like, it's like this amazing like bass player coming in and it's like, oh, I'm not here now. But anyway, it's it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes timing is what it is. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, it's just, and he was able to, you know, he really listened to what, I wanted, and he also loves like taking sounds and just like seeing if he can make them sound weirder, uh, which I also was totally on board for. So, yeah. so there's a lot of little sounds and little things throughout the record where you're like, I'm not sure what that is. It's it sounds musical. It's making a beautiful sound, but I don't know what it is. So that's that's kind of kind of ended up. I mean, Wary and Strange, you know, I basically was like, let's make this. He's like, let's make this as weird as we can, and I'm like, I mean, that's that's fine. That's ex- that's where I'm at, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's as so, other, at times yeah. it's as otherworldly as like a Tom Waits, a late period Tom Waits record or something. It's just really. Oh man, thank you. I appreciate so cool. that. Yeah, that's for awesome. sure. We've been talking to Amethyst Kia. Thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been yeah. great. Yeah, we're gonna leave it with the uh, recording of Black Myself from Wary and Strange because it's awesome, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to do this again. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. 91.3 KBCS. Amethyst Kia. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.